This is Shifting Our Schools, episode 36, Social Media Today in Music What? Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to another Shifting Our Schools episode here with episode number 36. Thank you as always for listening, for downloading us wherever you are. And if you could do us a favor, we don't ask this of you very often, but uh, if you could do us a favor and leave us a review in iTunes or in the Google Play Store or on Stitcher or in Spotify or wherever you happen to listen to us at, that would be a huge favor for us. Uh, Just lets us know who's listening and uh, just... It's always good to get reviews. You get bumped up in the iTunes store so more people get to listen to us. So we'd appreciate that. Uh, as always, we want to hear from you. So head on over to sospodcast.org slash questions, and that'll redirect you to our Flipgrid, which again is uh, just a great, great tool to use with kids. And we're using it with you, so you get a chance to use it before you get to use it with your kids if you haven't already. And if you've already used it, tell us how you're using it with kids. That's a great way to share. So again, that's sospodcast.org slash questions. Um, today, we're going to be talking about social media. This is actually a conversation that took place based on episode 35. So if you haven't heard episode 35, you need to go back and listen to that one first, where Olivia from LiveBits introduces us to Musical.ly and talks about how social media is used by her generation. She's a fifth grader and uh, just we have a great conversation with her. And what happened was is our advisory board at Edura Learning is is global. And so that was kind of the US-based team. And then Kim was kind of our conduit and took that same conversation then to our international team. And so now what you're going to hear in, in episode 36 is them talking about what they heard from Liv, them playing with Musical.ly. Uh, and again, the conversation always just goes to social media today and the importance of using these co- these tools with kids in the classroom. Um, if you get a chance and you haven't bought the book yet, please uh, head on over to Amazon and you can purchase our book, Your Connected Classroom, A Practical Guide for Teachers. If you have already purchased the book, we really appreciate any reviews that you can leave us there. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, the Kindle version. If it's not out already, hopefully we'll be out soon. Trying to do some Kindle formatting has cost us some time, but we want to make it perfect for you. And so it's going to be there as well. As always, this is one of those videos that was done as a YouTube live session over at Edura Learning, our company. So if you want to see more of those, and we've got a bunch of them up there, we've been doing them for over a year now. You can just go to YouTube and type in Edura Learning, and you should be able to find uh, any of the YouTube videos up there that we have created, YouTube live videos and other videos we've uploaded there, uh, feel free to do that. And you'll notice in all of those videos, and even in today's, we, we talk about some of the free PDFs that we give away. So you're going to want to head over to our website, eduralearning.com. And there, if you scroll to the bottom, you can download a free PDF and sign up for our newsletter. And our newsletter, it comes out once a week, uh, usually has some kind of free download or free PDF in it. There's a lot coming out right now as we get ready to launch some more of our online courses over at Edura Learning. We're really excited about that. So you'll hear me more about more about that coming as well. Um, but you want to make sure you have that newsletter as it's uh, just giving away free stuff left, right, and center. So it's been been fun to create. So today, this is what we're going to do is we're going to listen in as uh, Kim carries on our conversation again from episode 35 with Olivia from LiveBits with the international uh, crew today. Uh, it's another 
YouTube live session that I downloaded. So you'll, you'll hear some of that. And if you want to head on over to YouTube and you can watch it there as well. So without further ado, here's today's conversation. Hi everybody. And welcome back to another uh, YouTube live session with Eduro Learning and our amazing advisory board. Um, today we have three members of the advisory board plus me. I'm Kim. And so I'm going to get each member of the advisory board to please quickly introduce yourself and uh, where you are super fast. I know you've got the lower thirds on. We don't really need much, but start with Ben. Ben from Bangkok, learning innovation coach at NIST International School. Awesome. Carrie Lee. Hi, Kerry Lee Beasley. I'm D Director of Digital Learning at GEMS World Academy in Switzerland. Awesome. And Pana? Hi, I am Pana, and I am a technology and design coach at Taipei American School. So this is kind of our international school edition of our conversation about Musical.ly. And hopefully, mm -hmm. perhaps you guys have seen the conversation that we had with uh, Cynthia and Liv, our parent and student member of the members of the advisory board, where we talked about what this kind of looks like from a kid and parent perspective. So our goal today is to talk a little bit about our experience with Musical.ly and why we think it's powerful and kind of to build off that previous conversation with Cynthia and Liv. And before we went live on this podcast, we were already starting to kind of talk about the really interesting tidbits that came through in that conversation with Cynthia and Liv. So I know that, um, but I forget who it was. Who wants to start? I think it, Carrie Lee, was that you? Yeah, it was Carrie Lee. So, so I had now. a girl doing this, um, doing Musical.ly for the first time last week. And I was really surprised by, it looks quite effortless and easy, but it was really difficult to do. And I was um, quite surprised by that. There was a, it was a lot more challenging. There was more to it than I anticipated. And one of the things, like I was um, in the other podcast that you did earlier, I noticed they were talking about different types of literacy. And something that I noticed was, for me at least, I had my daughter helping me through the entire process because otherwise it would have been a disaster. But um, one thing she was saying, oh, we should do this, then look at this way in the camera. So we had lots of different shot types in our very short video. And, um, so, and I thought that was really interesting that they were picking up on those sort of things and they knew what made it interesting to, to their um, audience. So, yeah, I found it really an interesting experience to go through myself and um, definitely a lot more to it than um, first thought. I would totally agree. I kind of cheated a little bit and did mine with Panna. So she was in charge of the actual holding of the phone and navigating the app. But even just looking over her shoulder, I thought to myself, oh, there's way more to this than I thought. And your point about bringing in all those like communication techniques about the way we're looking at the camera and the way we're talking and all of those kind of I don't know if they're literacy or I'm not sure exactly what those skills are, but that was something that Liv brought up too, with like the way you present yourself in this format requires some critical thinking in addition to the fun part of presenting yourself. Um, I think doing that with you, Kim, the things that jumped out at me were the first thing you have to do is actually listen to a lot of sound clips and actually think about, well, this, do I understand what I want the visual to be that matches this audio. And so I think that for me, when I look at any kind of video, it's about piecing together two types of um, meaning making elements. It's the audio and the visual and how do they come together? But each person's interpretation of the same audio could be very, very different. So I think like, first it's like, well, do I even understand this audio? Can I come up with my own interpretation of it? 
And for me, I link it back to actually how we're always getting kids to um, act out their books, act out their characters. How would you, it's that process of transmediation from one symbolic symbol system to the next, right? It develops higher order thinking. So with this, it's kind of like, well, here's the sound. What's the visual? How would you interpret that? And let's dig deep. So I really like that aspect of it. That is like a serious skill. Sorry, Ben, go ahead. That's all right. I was actually just clearing my throat. (laughs) No, but um, yeah, well, I think it's, it's like this idea of literacy is for me, a lot of times translating an idea into like a reality. And it can be just like when you're, when you want to tell somebody something or try and make them see something from a new point of view, you have to be able to articulate your thoughts in such a way that makes sense to that person to help them see these things. And I, and I think a lot of what these tools do is it, is it uh, when kids get really good at it, they're actually able, they already have it in their mind, what they want. Mm-hmm. And they're able to use these tools to you know, articulate their thoughts. So they're becoming literate in, in different, in different tools, you know? And so when it looks so effortless, it's because someone has something in their mind already and they're fluent in these tools. And so that, that becomes a literacy for them. So, I mean, you look at the, the app, it doesn't look too much different than a lot of other apps, you know, but it is unique in some ways. And I think that's why some people seem to gravitate towards it a little bit more. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun. I was showing my son and he, he has mentioned it a couple of times and I was like, Hey, you want to, and he was just not interested. He was just like, nah, whatever. <laughs> like, all right. I'm sure like in two months it'll be like, Hey, we got to do musically or, you know, but it's interesting how, you know, things kind of come and go for kids. But I think the tools, like, I guess going back to it, like the tools, like if you, if a, you know, a kid or an adult or whoever got into this and became literate in these tools, these are the tools of today. So like, it doesn't look that much different for so many different things because that literacy is, you know, translates across all these different things. And I think your point about literacy within the tools is really interesting. And it came up a couple of times in the conversation with Cynthia and Liv as well. So I have two thoughts that I'm trying to form while I'm speaking. One is this idea of communication and how do you communicate an idea? And that came up a lot in the conversation with um, Liv because she was talking about communicating through visual means a little bit the way um, Panna was just talking about and how this particular app really teaches her how to communicate a message in a visual way in a way that perhaps she isn't often engaged at school. So there's that one piece of like, visual communication and communication through your own physical expression of yourself. And then there's the other piece that to me, the different tools may allow us and our students to build skills slightly differently. Like we talk about kind of social media skills, all being a little bit um, transferable. Every tool is so similar that you could use each one and they're all kind of the same thing. But I think Ben, the point that you're hinting at a little bit there, and it came up again in the conversation with Cynthia and Liv is that some of these tools do a better job of teaching or helping kids develop skills in specific aspects of communication that are different from tool to tool, which I think is really interesting because in my mind, they're all a little bit lumped together, but the more I explore with different tools, the more I see how unique they can be. Yeah, and I think there's a cultural element too because of the music that you can choose from. So, you know, I think that's one of the things where my my son popped in and um <clears throat> poor guy, he's like really into like, you know, 
music that I'm into and my wife's into, you know, because we listen to this music a lot, right? So he's got like sort of this maybe alternative taste for kids his age. He's not like super into a lot of the music the kids are in. So he was looking through and he was like, he couldn't find any songs that he liked. And I think that was part of the the thing that, you know, because he had these things in his mind. He's like, Queen, starts looking for Queen, nothing, you know? And then he's like, Elvis. And he's looking for Elvis. He's like, nothing, you know? So I think part of it is kids are piggybacking on some cultural sort of nuances that come through music, like that they use to piggyback on whatever visual message. Cause it's not just the necessarily the song lyrics, but it's like what is thought about the song that also mm-hmm. adds to that story. You know, what 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 was, you, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I thought it was interesting that, in, that Liv mentioned that she didn't often do the music aspects my kids certainly don't either. They much prefer the comedy elements. And something you said, Pa, reminded me, well, I have a hunch as to why that is. In terms of making a video, if kids are going to just go out from scratch and make a video, there are so many things to think about. There's the characters, there's this, this um, storyboard, there's all of the different props and elements they need to, to do that. But for this, the audio piece is already taken care of. So that's one thing that they don't have to worry about. And it's also the storyline. And um, we know that kids want to make a, a video that makes them look funny or good or whatever and puts them in a great light. So really it's, it's isolating one piece of the puzzle that they get to focus on for a little bit longer. And I have much, that's, that's why my kids find it the most interesting. They've only got one thing to focus on. That's such a good point to scaffold the skills needed to create a quality video product, this could be a tool you use in the process of developing those skills to learn just that one piece, because otherwise the, the bigger essence of creating a project might be a lot to take on. Really interesting. No, I totally like the idea of um, the isolation, definitely. Um, and when Ben was talking about how his son just couldn't find something that he really, that really drew him into the app, it made me wonder if like, what if we could reverse that? What if we could get kids creating audio that went into that somehow or, you know, using another tool like, okay, so I don't like any of this. So let me go find something that I do like, and then let me add on to it or put that audio out there and see how many versions could they get kind of like your, um, that project that I met you on Ben. Um, what was it? The, um, the stop motion one years and years ago. Yeah. Yep. We met online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what we did was, yeah. So um, we, yeah, my kids made a stop motion and they had a script and, you know, they had this whole thing, but they shared out the, the stop motion project with zero audio and then other people. So basically I invented musically. I just figured it out. Um, no, so, capitalize on that one. <laughs> musically so we, in reverse. Yeah. We shared out this, this, um, you know, stop motion video and asked other people to make up their own storyline for it. You know, and so like six different classes. And it was cool because it was like kindergarten classes and high school classes. You know, and the high schoolers like totally remixed it. And they made it like four times as long, you know, added all sorts of other elements. It was really cool. But it was cool for, for the kids to get back this, you know, this video that they made that in their mind, you know, was very following this storyline that they had written. And then there's all these different stories coming out of it. It was pretty cool. So when we think about the potential that Musical.ly has for like classroom learning, I think this point about isolating specific skills is a really 
strong and powerful potential. And the idea, Ben, that you're talking about, maybe you don't want to use Musical.ly, but you can do that kind of isolation skill through other formats, like the example you just said, create the video piece and then they create the audio piece. Do you guys see any other potential for Musical.ly in the classroom based on either what you heard from Liv or your own personal experience? Um, I think one thing that stood out was um, what Cynthia was saying, the collaboration piece, because although there are many social media tools out there that are meant for digital collaboration, this is one that combines the IRL collaboration piece into something digital, which I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for something that'll combine something that's a little bit more personal, but then still sharing it out into the world somehow or combining it with the digital piece because I work with such young children. I still want that somewhat hands-on-y feel. So I think that um, I like that it provides a uh, creative opportunity for kids to work together and kind of blend their ideas into one story. I think um, the, when I was thinking about writing and I was thinking about um, some sort of fractured fairy tales, you know how kids often have those, which is that idea of here's the storyline, make a little change in it and make it your own and make it unique. And typically they do very well in those sort of scenarios again because the plot lines are already sorted for them. Um, but I know a friend of mine, Kristen Zuki, also talks about not only giving kids mentor tech, but, tech, but giving them mentor tech and I think that, that basically provides that mentor tech that you can sort of hear some examples of people doing these things all in different ways. And it could be that same example that, Ben, you shared that with your animation that you got the audios, the different audio samples for. But here are some examples of some. What can you bring to the party and um, how can you make it your own? I think that's a really powerful idea for any kind of digital learning. And sometimes we think about that we want kids to create everything from scratch, but actually just this conversation that we're talking about here, there's so much power in starting from something and enabling you to do some deeper learning on the one piece that you get to create instead of this like, you know, depth versus breadth kind of argument. And this particular scenario, this tool allows us to go deeper because it takes out so many elements that would automatically kind of force us to just look at the shallow and because we just only have so much time, which I think is really cool. Both of you kind of mentioned something along those lines. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, in the past, the most successful experience with these sorts of tools for me in a classroom has been when, you know, there's an audience, but it's more than just sort of an artificial audience of, you know, or, or just maybe someone will read this, but it's through like almost purposeful, um, cultivation of relationships with other classes. And, and so it seems like when you work to create something together, you know, with other classes and such, um, it really, you know, then they're able to sort of find their voice because it's offering validation, but it's also, you know, empathy to, to understand someone else's point of view or to build on other ideas and, and really create a space to work together and, and sort of make something. And so like when I'm, when I'm hearing you guys talk, I'm thinking this musically, wouldn't it be cool to make like a collaborative story where you just build on the last thing this other class did, right? So you're kind of creating this little story between you two through your musicallys, you know, which Ooh, I think that would be like so cool. Like a musically like conversation back and forth. Yeah. Like you do yeah. one and I'll respond with another. I yeah. But like you know, even around a theme or in response right. to a shared piece of writing or, you know, that'd be so cool. Mm -hmm. 
And Liv talked a lot about audience in, in our other podcast. And I thought that was really interesting too. She's very articulate and conscious of the audience that she's sharing her work with. And I think that like, Ben, I totally agree with you. When I use these tools, I want to make sure there is a purposeful audience for why we're doing it. We're not just like putting it out there because that's cool. Like we want to at least have somebody who actually wants to see it. And so that idea of like understanding how to communicate to an audience through this kind of back and forth and how to audience or tell a story collaboratively with our audience using just the kind of voices that would be like really challenging that again would be really higher level thinking. Mm -hmm. I think another thing was that I remember her saying was that she would sometimes share them once they got to a certain level. So there's that idea of playing around in the sandbox privately until you get your skill set to a level of which you're willing to go public with it. And perhaps as a teacher, I've been guilty of, um, pushing public before it's had that chance for a sandboxing and, and getting that skill level up. So that's another interesting takeaway for me from listening to that first podcast. I like that sandbox idea, especially because it's this safe space for reflection and really thinking about, well, is this something I'm proud of? Is this something that I want a wider audience to see? And so it's, it's an area where they can actually dwell on the idea of audience before jumping off that cliff into it, which well, can be scary. Yeah, I made it, she made a really good point when she said, you know, her, her cousin, whatever, 20-year-old cousin said, why don't you ever like any of my posts? And she's, you know, they're, they're inappropriate, you know, like, I don't <laughs> want to participate in that space, you know, like, and it was really cool how she said, you know, my mom and I have got in this together and we're working through this and I'm sort of learning through that. And, you know, uh, you know, I guess her friends or whatever, you know, 13 year olds, they're just sort of given the phone and it's like the wild, wild west, you know, but they haven't had any sort of moderation or modeling um, to go through it together. You know, I think it's pretty cool. And even she said, you know, like now I'm at an age where I, I really like listen to my mom and I talk to my mom, you know, like when you start to getting into the teens and, you know, upper teens, you know, the, the mom and dad filter just sort of like turns on and, you know, and like, <laughs> it's, it was just really funny to hear that. I thought that was awesome too. And what was interesting, a couple of things are really interesting about that is audience. And we've talked a lot about that. There's a lot of younger learners in Musical.ly that it really appeals to like grade three, four, five, six, maybe seven. Yep. And so there's that idea of like almost an age appropriate audience in there already. And that bring gives you age appropriate examples as well. So that that idea of like, what do people share? maybe what they're seeing in those spaces is a little more age appropriate because the people in those spaces are more age appropriate. Like that's a whole another dynamic that makes this tool unique because when we try to bring social media in the classroom, often we're talking about the tools that we use as adults and maybe the conversation or the media that's happening there is something a little more mature. And this one might be potentially a little more age appropriate for younger learners. And yet is it, is it an app for under 13s? It probably has. So that's a, it's a big question in terms of are, are people aware of what their kids are doing necessarily? Maybe. I know certainly in my house they are. <laughs> that's a whole nother really interesting conversation that I was just talking about. I just finished a blog post today and I hope I put it in there. I was talking about it with Alex and I wanted to remember to put it in there. Now I need to 
go back and double check, but this whole idea of like the cost of free. And when we're giving away our, our name and our content, you know, and we're signing up to use these tools, what are we really doing? And I think that's a piece of like, I don't know if it's digital literacy or critical literacy or critical thinking that maybe we're not focusing on yet in schools because we're still stuck on the, not that these aren't important, but we're still stuck on like the first level of digital citizenship of balance and safety and privacy and respect and all that kind of stuff. But where does this concept of, you know, the cost of free come into play and when you're using things and maybe not saying your age, you know, what does all that mean? And when do we talk to kids about that? Yeah. Well, all the time, the cost of free is you're the product. Exactly. (laughs) So I think more and more though, maybe this is a tangent, but sort of the digital citizenship or the digital citizenship conversation is, is about more also encompassing like, uh, media fluency, you know, and it's exactly like what you're talking about because it's not just be scared of strangers. It's be scared of, uh, corporations who are using your data to make money, you know, or, you know, or you don't even know what they're using your data for and you don't know what data they are using, you know, cause it comes out more and more that, you know, pretty much, I mean, even like any of these apps, like when you sign up for musically, you know, it's like access my contacts, access this, access that, um, you know, it's come out more recently that you know, even Google's tracking, you know, your location without you knowing. And, you know, there's always things popping up about, you know, Facebook storing conversations and, you know, blah, you know, pictures and da, da, da. So um, not, not that, you know, you should not engage uh, with different things because of that, but you definitely have to be aware, especially um, with what you're giving away. Like if you've ever read the terms of service, it's kind of, kind of freaky. But that to me, that is, that is a potential use for this tool in the classroom is if kids are engaged in this tool outside of school and they're playing around and they're really finding it relevant for them, then using that engagement and interest to have a conversation about what is the cost of free. If everyone in the class is already using it, even besides using the tool to demonstrate learning or to build new understandings, even just having that conversation about what does it mean when you signed up for this tool? Well, who's having that conversation if you're not? Right. Because it's not a lot of parents aren't, aren't aware of this. Um, you know, they're just sort of like, uh, you know, begging for help, you know, begging to be to be partnered in the conversation. That's what I find most, you know, most parents want a partner in the conversation because we're we're asking these kids to use these, you know, computers and tools and iPads, et cetera. Um, and the parents aren't aren't as educated as they feel like they should be. And that's yes, why they should listen think. to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I, I think they, you know, they're, they're, they're I, for the most part, I feel like, you know, parents are just doing the best they can with what they have. Absolutely. You know, so, but I definitely think back to the earlier point with the digital citizenship, you know, I don't, I don't know that we all have, a lot of people have this thing in mind with digital citizenship, but I think it encompasses so much now, um, like what you're talking about. But also I think what we're talking about with how we use these tools in our classroom, like musically in our classroom, I think for me, that is part of what we should be teaching. And I don't know if digital citizenship, media fluency, whatever, I don't know if there's a broader term. Maybe you guys can help me with the broader term. But we should be, I mean, this is sort of like what we should be doing now. I mean, take out musically, put in something else. But, you know, we should be exploring these things. We should be having these conversations because there's so, once you start unraveling, it's like, you know, pulling on the sweater. It just, so it encompasses so much of what, 
life is these days for us and our kids. And that I totally agree. With Panna, you come on, give me the term, Panna. You, you're <laughs> okay. Now you're picking on me now. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think about so, like, we're having a kind of in-depth conversation about this specific tool and how we can teach these really important um, literacy skills or fluency skills with kids. This makes me wonder or think about for those teachers that maybe wouldn't even feel so comfortable as to download the app for themselves and play around with it like we did today, how do you even get started? Like that was one thing I was thinking about when we were talking with Cynthia and Liv. Like if you're a teacher and you're like, okay, these things are all really important, but just like you're saying, parents maybe don't feel as educated about this idea as they could. Teachers are in the same boat too. Like where do you start? What's the first step? Like you, okay, you've listened to this podcast. You've listened to Cynthia and Liv. You want to get started. How do you do that? I'd find an expert. <laughs> so I'd sit down with one of the kids that knows how to use it and give it a go. I think kids have a lot of respect for um, teachers that do try these things and put themselves into that position of vulnerability to give things a go. And, um, and they also appreciate you having a little bit of fun. And I think if you can throw a bit of silliness into it, I think that's always a good thing. Um, and I think, yeah, it's playing a role. It's, it's taking on a new um, a risk, a challenge. And I think that's a great thing to model for kids. Um, but es- especially if, if some person in your class could teach you, I'm sure they would love that. And I think that if like some, I guess some teachers are still not as comfortable seeking the help of the students, maybe for one reason or another. But I think that um, Cynthia brought up a good point in that if you even just sit around with each other and kind of just be like, okay, so we all don't know what we're doing, but this is a safe space. So let's all just give it a go and start pushing buttons. And if we make a mistake, well, guess what? We haven't made our account public. Thank goodness there's an option for that. And in many apps, there is. And so it doesn't immediately go out into the world, but then we have the option of deleting, retaking, you know, oh my gosh, like Kim and I went through, I don't know how many versions before we actually figured out, like you couldn't even do it in landscape. You had to do it in portrait. We were like, oh, we're sideways. Okay, let's do that again. Um, I think that what... (laughs) What teachers need to realize is um, it reminds me of something that Tosca actually wrote recently in one of her articles or posts was that you have to find that space just, just outside your comfort zone. You have to live inside that slight uncomfortable like feeling in order to continue learning and progressing. And I think that without that, we aren't going to continue growing as educators and moving along, moving the education system along the way it should be. Yeah, I think like to be with like another, find another, another person, like another teacher. It could be at your school. It could be at a different school, but someone who's like sort of in the same space as you, maybe a little bit ahead, maybe not, maybe just someone who's really open and ready to go. And then, you know, just, just make a commitment to try it together. You know, because just that one little extra external accountability might push you to do something that if you didn't have any anything else, you know, pushing you to try something, maybe just that little bit will do that. But then you know that that you can trust that person and they're going to give you really good feedback and that they're going to say whether it worked or not and be honest with you. You know, I think for me, like I found if I've if I've had a partner 
you know, in crime sort of that, that I know I can trust and I know it's going to give me honest feedback and I know that's going to, you know, sort of go for it with me. It just gives me a little bit more confidence to like give it a try and go for it, you know? And I think if you have that external, you know, the other person that's other, that's other people for your kids, you know? So there's kids in that class who are trying these same things. So you can all try it together. And so if you sort of like let those kids try whatever it is you want to try and step to the side a little bit as teachers, then I think you'll see that's where the gold really, you know, really comes from. And I think what all three of you have said and in different ways is that we have to be learners too. And a lot of times as teachers, we feel like we have to know everything before we start something. And I think the message that's coming through loud and clear here is it's okay to be a learner and you, it's great when you model taking a risk with your kids and trying something new with your kids and being able to explore something new with your kids so that they can see what it looks like when I'm learning how to learn with technology, because maybe they know how to use musically, but you know how to use something else. And and that's okay that we can kind of reciprocate. Awesome. So does anyone have any final thoughts about musically or about, um, you know, your experience using musically for, to try out for this uh, podcast today? Um, I couldn't find anyone other than Jeff and Chrissy. <laughs> I guess they're in my contact list, but oh. I wanted to see what you guys were doing. Cause I, I was, I, there's ways to tag people in there. So I was going to make little awesome, funny things in my own mind and like tag you in them. But I couldn't, <laughs> Cause I guess you're not in my phone contacts. I can't find you. That's interesting. So it doesn't sync with any other social media. I think it maybe should. Facebook. Yeah. I think it may be Facebook, but, um, Instagram like, as well. Yeah, yeah. And is it owned by Facebook? Mm, I don't know. Because it, it like uses some Facebook verification tool or something like that. Anyways, um, no, but I think... I also Instagram if you want to see it. Yeah, so I think for me, right? one final thought is that it's, you know, there has to be value in spending time there. And so like, if there's no value in spending time there for the kids, they're not going to do it, you know? And so for me, like right away, I was like, ah, I can't see anybody I know in this space. I'm, I'm not going to sit in my room alone and like create all these things that I think are really funny and then not get to see what everybody else is doing. That's really funny or very cool. You know? So it's like, eh. so I guess it has to, the, the space has to provide some value and it has to be, sort of a community, some where I want to like see my friends, you know. That's interesting. You actually mentioned that Ben, because for me, I actually went to musically and I was just like, I don't think I'm going to know anyone here. So I actually want to keep my account private, but I'm going to share it into Instagram where I do have an audience. Okay. And so I, I went straight to like, I don't want the musically audience. I want my friends in Instagram and I shifted straight to that. So in musically, you probably can't find me because I'm a private account, Yeah. but yeah. you can see it in Instagram because those are the people that I'm willing to share with that I've curated. I was like, I'm not going to put this on Facebook, but I will put it on Instagram. Like those <laughs> different things. About who, right, I'm who finding I you guys on Instagram. Or, or <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks everybody for another great conversation. Um, last time I put everybody on the spot and asked you to share an interesting resource that you've seen since the last conversation that we had. So I'm going to do it again this time. Does anyone have an interesting resource connected or unconnected to today's conversation that you would recommend for our audience to have a look at? Yes. Yes. I do. 
<laughs> just trying to think what it's actually called. Um, it's the New York Times Learning Section uh, Film Club. And they have a 10-minute video, I think it might be every week or every month that they put one out, and accompanying teacher resources, and they're fascinating. Like there was one, of, um, a couple that I've seen, one was on refugees, uh, beautifully shot, everything is really well, well done. And another one I saw was about a woman who was in um, a concentration camp and got a message from her father from beyond the grave, um, and that story was fascinating as well. So if you're looking for ways of bringing film into the classroom and have some support there, uh, then We'll, we'll get the link to you, the New York Times um, Film Club. Cool. Um, well, I tweeted, the, yeah, I tweeted this out pretty recently, but it was actually not a new um, blog post, but it had something to do with um, whether or not having an active social media presence would be more important than a degree. And although it was an opinion uh, yeah. piece, but um, I thought that that definitely... Uh, was an interesting perspective to read about because uh, it really just highlighted the importance or the relevance, rather, of social media in our world today and how much you can potentially gain from it. At the end of the day, like, it's hard to say whether or not it's more important, but it does really speak to um, the need for us to understand it as educators, I think. Nice. All right, I'm going to be the nerd. I have a book, my latest book. Uh, it's, for, for, it's for school leaders. It's called All Together Now, How to Engage Your Stakeholders in Reimagining School. Um, and it's sort of really kind of super interesting. It breaks it down. Susie Boss is the author. Oh, yeah. I mean, just Let's by see the cover. Boss is such a badass last name. Um, totally. It's got know. like... <laughs> So, um, oh yeah, it's on my phone. Sorry. Actually, <laughs> the book's at school. I just got it today, but, um, it's really cool. It's broken down into four parts. Um, and it's almost like a how to manual. Um, it's really cool. And so we're sort of, you know, um, we just had, a, a consultant come in and work on a strategic plan and it got it to a certain point and we didn't feel like it got us where we wanted to go. And so we're sort of like looking inward and going to engage everybody in this process. So, um, someone recommended the book and I got it. And so I think, uh, it's going to sort of like help us and as we move forward. So geek out with me and get the book. <laughs> uh, I think last time I talked Thanks. about a podcast too, and this time mine is a podcast again, I guess this is like the main way why, how I'm learning lately. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Gimlet media. They do a variety of like, I would say current kind of trendy podcast topics, like a little bit kind of hipstery. And one of the ones that I listened to is called Reply All. And that conversation about the cost of free got me thinking about a podcast I listened to recently, which was, is Facebook listening? And the podcast episode was all about how people are really stressed out that the Facebook app on their phone could be listening to their conversations because the ads that they get within Facebook immediately after having a conversation are exactly targeted to what that conversation was about. So they go a little bit into how this could possibly happen, why they think it's not happening, and some examples where they can't quite definitively say whether or not it is actually happening. So even like little snippets of that, especially for like middle or high school students, would be a really interesting conversation starter just to talk about like, you know, you're using all these tools. Do you really know what's happening behind the scenes and how they're targeting you as being the cost. Cool. 
Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, this was another Eduro Learning YouTube Live session, which will be available on our podcast soon. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to our next session. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.